Welcome, everybody, to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. This one was unreal as we bring on twin sisters, Jocelyn Lamaru-Davidson and Monique Lamaru-Morando. And what amazing careers they have had. They grew up in North Dakota, big family of hockey. They went to the prep school Shattuck St. Mary's. Then they went on to play college hockey at both Minnesota and then the University of North Dakota. They have been staples for the United States women national team for a long, long time. Uh, They've won six world championships, two silver medals uh, in the Olympics, and then one gold medal uh, in the 2018 Olympics where they both scored the game tire and then the incredible shootout game winner as well. Uh, They will go down not only for their amazing hockey playing abilities, but in their fight for equality for women. That is what their legacy is really going to lead on. And we get into a lot of that on the podcast. They just are about to release their book called Dare to Make History, Chasing a Dream and Fighting for Equality. This was such an awesome conversation. But before we do get over to Jocelyn and Monique, let's bring on another awesome guy in Jeffrey Lavecchio. Vex, what's shaking bacon today? (laughs) <laughs> not much my man just sitting in nashville a uh, little bit snowed in and uh yeah just hanging out with you excited to be talking about these lamaru twins like man everything about them is is gold medal like their poise when they're talking obviously like their depth of knowledge not only in hockey but in training like we talked to him for like 10 minutes after we we finished the podcast and i talked to him about training and kind of philosophies the way they think stuff like that like there's ex- obviously they're they're goats and and they were exactly what i would have expected out of a couple of goats so very excited to have them on here for anyone who know, doesn't know what goat means i'm not calling them um the animal goats i'm calling them greatest of all time just to make sure no one out there in this world today uh karen doesn't uh, text me and ask why i'm calling these women goats i'm calling them the greatest of all time karen calm down <laughs> oh they're certainly in that conversation i mean and again like you look at their hockey playing you know, Jocelyn, 285 career points in college in 149 games. Monique, 265 career points in 149 games. I mean, absolutely insane. They're third and fifth all-time, respectively. Um, their Olympic careers, just same way, just so incredibly decorated. But, like, that's not what they're going to be known for. Like, they're going to be known for their work in fighting for gender equality and fighting for the next generation of women's hockey players growing up and what they are doing right now um, with this book and these appearance appearances and what they're doing with the PWHPA right now, trying to find a sustainable league so women can play professionally and they don't have to, like they had to do, have a second job <laughs> or, you know, like the story about in the parking lot, you know, fighting against Team USA where they're making calls to like club hockey players and division three hockey players say, hey, like let's stand united. I mean, you, we'll get into it on the podcast. We won't talk about it much right here, but I mean, again, as somebody, and I told them this on the podcast and even after as somebody that 
loves hockey as somebody that has two daughters, one that's about to be four and one that's one years old that may or may not want to play hockey at the highest levels when, when they get to be of age, like they are making life better for my kids. And as a parent, like there is nothing more that you can ask for than the opportunities that your kids choose to, um, choose to pursue. And they're providing my daughters with more opportunity for when they get there and uh, can't thank them enough. Yeah, I mean, there's absolutely no doubt that they're leaving it way, way, way better than they found it. I mean, it's it's not even close, the things that they've done uh, and will continue to do in their retirement. My God, those points per game in college are insane. <laughs> I, f- I feel embarrassed for my points per <laughs> game now. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, between them, between the two of them, 550 points in 149 games. not bad not bad but honestly like you know you got the chance to to speak with her at least i did anyway got the chance to speak with some of her former teammates um two people who we've had on the on the podcast kennel coin schofield who has led the way with them uh, in women's hockey with the national team um and then i spoke to gags Alyssa gallardi who does a lot of stuff with us as well and i got a chance to speak with kenny clee who was the women's national coach for a long time uh as well and and it is great like they say like yeah obviously they're great hockey players but it's so much more than that. Their work ethic, their attitude, their leadership, their example, um, not just on the ice, but especially off the ice and paving the way for the younger players that they played with, but also for the younger players who are not even there yet, like my daughters that we talked about. And just very, very awesome to be able to get people like this on our podcast to talk about um, uh, number one, hockey. We got some hockey talk in here and, you know, we want to pick the brains of, of two people who averaged however many points they averaged in uh in their hockey careers so it was pretty cool to talk to them especially about like chemistry how do you develop chemistry because as twins something they do very very well um but also again getting the chance to speak about um their mission of what they're doing right now and fighting for equality just such an uplifting inspiring episode a lot of negativity going on in the world right now um but just this one was uh it'll put a smile on everybody's faces and and uh, there's a lot of substance to it that make can make you kind of want to get into the fight and and fight for what you believe in too right and if this doesn't you know get you excited to get more into the women's hockey game for anyone who hasn't already kind of dipped their toe in that pool. I mean, I think that getting to know the players, I actually read something, uh, or what was it? Gary V, you know, Gary V. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Love, the awesome. Lo- love like how he's always telling people to be themselves and, and, you know, all these things go after what you want. And he, somebody posted on Instagram, one of the guys I train about him talking about hockey. Did you see that? No, I didn't. I'll send it to you when we get off here. But so he's talking about hockey. He's like, it is so fun. It is so fast. It's the most fun sport to watch, but I don't think it's a top four sport in the U S anymore. And I was like, okay, kind of angry at that. But then he's like, you know, I think MMA, maybe even worldwide soccer has taken it over in the U S as the way that people look at it. And I was like, all right. And he's like, you know, I don't think they do a good enough job promoting it. And then it started to think, and it's like what we talk about, you know, even five, 10 years ago, every player had the exact same answer. Every player, like no one really knew the background of players. Like that's not what the teams allowed. That's not what they did. They're starting to now. So I think anyone who hasn't really looked into the women's game, getting to know these two women is probably a really good place to start because I feel once you get the background of the players, you get more invested into that, into them. 
into their team, into the league, into the game. So I think that anyone who isn't invested in women's hockey yet, you know, obviously look into the Lamaru twins, listen to our podcast with Alyssa Gagliardi, listen to our podcast with Nicole Hensley. You know, like we have, we have so many unbelievable women's players in the game right now that have done so much. And I think that if people start to look into their, their lives on top of their hockey career, they'll get more invested into the women's game. Totally. And, and, and it's a misconception too. And we got into it on the podcast with Jocelyn and Monique, like when they stood up to USA hockey and threatened to boycott the 2017 world championships, like it wasn't this like pay us more. No, it was like invest in our game. It wasn't just about the equity when it came to payment. It was about like, promote us more, put us in more marketing. You know, we want to grow the game. We want to provide more opportunities for women in this country to, to want to get into it. And, and again, every single woman that we've spoken to, it's like, if you can't see it, you can't be it. So like exactly what you're saying, like they need USA hockey, hockey. I mean, everybody, um, the NHL, we need to put more women at the forefront because, um, again, more investment into the women's side of the game. First of all, it's a great game. It's a great product. And going to watch women's games is absolutely incredible. And more people, <laughs> more people should go and see those games. But also like, you know, we as men and, and the men's leagues and, and the federations and, and hockey governing bodies, like we need to do a much better job of providing equity in terms of how much is um, being put on TV, how much is being put in magazines, how much is being put on the internet. Like the women's team should be promoted just as much as the men te- men's team should be. And uh, I think it's a great opportunity for growth for hockey in our country in Canada and all over the world. Yeah. And it's, it's also like you talked about, we haven't talked about this in a while, but getting more women involved in youth hockey, you know, I think that's another big step that, that needs to happen. Even if it's women, coaching the boys the young boys i think that that needs to happen more i mean when you talked about that early on in our show i was like wow there really aren't a lot of moms involved in you know i play triple a hockey you play trip other than the manager position and even then it's few and far between like why aren't there more mom assistant coaches like Honestly, there's dad assisted coaches who don't know what they're doing. They can't skate. So why aren't their mom coaches doing the exact same thing out there? I mean, I think there should be. Yeah, man. A hundred percent. I mean, women, hockey moms. I mean, we talk about all the time, hockey moms. We wouldn't have a sport <laughs> if it wasn't for hockey moms. Um, and it was actually cool talking to Jocelyn and Monique because they're new moms as well. Um, just about that experience and, and how it's changed their perspective even a little bit more uh, on everything. And yeah, I mean, for, for all the women that are listening to this episode, we encourage you guys so much to, to get involved um, in more official capacities, um, even like refing, you know, coaching, refing presidents of boards, you know, getting in, involved in Hockey Canada or USA Hockey and being put in those positions. I mean, the amount of boardrooms that I've been in where it's a bunch of old men, you know, trying to figure out the world and not being able to do it. And I've been a part of that. Like, I've been a part of those rooms and and I'm guilty myself of, of you know, not involving more women in some of the things that, that I've been doing. And then when women do get involved, you like, you just see how amazing it is and how much, how amazing they are at, at just like figuring things out and, and helping people out. And, and we just don't extend that hand out enough. 
Uh, I think there are a lot of women in this game that don't feel comfortable in putting their foot forward because they don't feel like they're wanted. Um, and, and so I think, again, as men, we need to do a better job of creating an environment that allows women to feel more comfortable in coming forward in pursuing these leadership positions and things like that. And, and, you know, again, like I said, like I'm as guilty as, as anybody in this. Um, and I would love to see more women involved and more men, again, creating that environment, allowing women to want to be involved as well. Agree. That's why Nicole Hensley was my first hire with Rip Talking. Not a big deal. She was a, was a strength coach for me. Not a big deal. I'm on the forefront. Get off me. <laughs> well, good stuff. Well, I do want to get over to this conversation. Before we do get over to Jocelyn and Monique, uh, let's thank our sponsors. First one, our drill that we're going to do today. This is one of my favorites, Bex. This is one of my favorites. I am all about, like, when it comes to scoring goals, um, there's obviously a technical side to scoring goals, you know, how you shoot, where you get to and things like that. But I am a huge believer in mentality, huge believer in mentality. And if you're pra- if you want to be a goal scorer, when you're shooting pucks in your basement or you're in a drill or you're on the ice and you're just practicing, like you have to have a mindset of I'm shooting to score and I am a goal scorer. And so this drill is a drill for me. That's a lot about mindset. And so how it works is you take two nets and you take one circle on the ice and you put one net on the bottom of the circle and you put one net on the top of the circle. Then there's a one-on-one inside the circle. Um, So let's say you have a white team and a black team. You have one white player and one black player that's can only be in the circle. And then you have two black players outside the circle, kind of like, Um, on the flank position, backdoor positions, shooting on the white goalie. And then on the other side, you have the two white players on the same backdoor positions for uh, shooting against the black goalie. Um, So it's like a little one-on-one inside the circle, but there's also these two guys on the sides that can also score. So as a coach, you flip a puck into the middle. It's a one-on-one battle to get possession of the puck. And then you can use your two offensive players and to make it a little bit of a three-on-one in that small area. So it's a lot of quick passing, uh, a lot of like backdoor plays. But the big thing that we always try to stress is you have to shoot to score in this drill. You have to shoot to score. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for shots, um, a lot of opportunities to shoot around sticks, a lot of opportunities to shoot an open net. You have to bury the puck. And so um, one of my favorite drills, um, we do this all the time as a team. I think it really, really helps for that mentality. Uh, we'll put a video out there later on in the week on social media, uh, or you can go to icehockeysystems.com or the hockeythinktank.com and check it out. Um, so yeah, our, our drill sponsor, icehockeysystems.com. This is one that we wanted to throw out there this week. Vex, what do you think about this drill? These were always like my favorite type of drills to do. Cause it's like, battle and score it's like both you're right by the net it's gonna Jeff Levecchio's favorite things to do it's gonna get greasy you know you got to use your body positioning you you're so close to the net so every shot is a good shot in these drills every single shot's a good shot and I love that because you know I was somebody who tried to shoot the puck from everywhere so now that you're that close to the net you know and then you got those other two guys so every now and then after you shoot a couple kind of fake the goalie pump fake try and slide it to one of those guys back door but uh i love all the drills that that you know you talk about that i used to do in my career where the nets are set up around a circle like that whether it's one-on-one two-on-two and tight you know and then you got the guys on the outside being bumpers i love all of these drills because it's just so quick and intense 
And it's all about, you know, trying to bury the puck as quick as you can. Yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, when the, whenever there's competition and there's a score involved, that always makes it a little better. It's also like a, a pretty decent defensive drill from like a stick positioning angling, not angling, but stick positioning standpoint, because the defensive guy, it's a little bit of a small area three on one. So you got to play a little cat and mouse, put your stick in different lanes, try and mess up the guy with the puck. Um, and so, yeah, uh, just a really fun drill that, that I love to do, um, see a lot of merit and again, goal scoring, not just about what you're doing. It's how you're doing it. I would rather you shoot for the kids out there. I would rather you shoot, um, 20 pucks with a shoot to score mentality in your basement than a hundred pucks just to shoot a hundred pucks. Um, I, I'm a big, big believer in that. I'm sure some people don't agree, but like mentality Uh, is everything. If you don't agree with that take yourself to the vet and ask to be put down. That is the right way to do it. I remember like, like, and we were talking about intention or something like last week. And I remember like, I, or you were talking to Monika Jocelyn on this episode, like how, how do you make the little things fun? Cause they went into detail about some very specific examples of, of practicing the little details that paid off big time at the right time. So you guys will hear that listeners in this episode, but like, I would always try to make a game out of like I, I'd shoot posting in, try and always shoot posting in or crossbarring in or five hole, hit that little pad I had in the middle. But like I was, I would not let myself go back upstairs with my parents or go inside from the garage until I went like five in a row posting in. And if I do two in a row posting in, that third one missed, well, I got to start over. I would be out there until I went five in a row posting in. Then I'd have to do it on the other side. Did you ever do stuff like that or no? That, that's how I always tried to make it a competition with myself. I, that's funny you say that. I would always do that with myself. I was shooting in the basement. I would play post and I'd be like, one person would be like Steve Eiserman and one person would be like Wayne Gretzky, but I was obviously both people. <laughs> so like, it would be like Eiserman versus Gretzky and you'd have to go left post, crossbar, right post, right post, crossbar, left post. And so it was just like, yeah, like the two of them were against each other. And I don't know, it's just a fun little thing that I did when I was younger genius but it's a way to keep it fun like i wanted to say that when we were talking to them in this episode but you know i didn't have it didn't make sense like interjecting at that time but like every single day i did that okay i can't i can't eat lunch until i go five bar meows i can't eat lunch until i hit five hole 10 times in a row like i just always did that stuff because then i was a challenge to myself without having to have a a partner there yeah totally um well good stuff man i love this stuff um I love this conversation more though. And we need to get over the conversation. (laughs) Um, Honestly, for, for all the listeners out there, like this was one of our favorites that we've done. We got off the podcast, a conversation with them, kind of look at each other. Like these two are just fantastic. They're making the, the hockey world a better place. We can't thank them enough as a dad of two girls. I can't thank them enough personally. So um, thank you to Jocelyn and Monique for coming on. Thank you to ice hockey systems for being our drill sponsor. Thank you to gel sticks for being our title sponsor. Go to gelsticks.com, G E L S T X.com and use the coupon code think tank one word to get a nice little discount on some weighted training sticks. Thank you to train heroic Jeff's training app um, where he has all of his awesome, awesome, awesome workouts. Um, And thank you to the listeners. We appreciate you guys so much. Again, just, 
just hitting over uh, half a million downloads uh, on this podcast. We're so grateful. And, and honestly, like the, the numbers keep skyrocketing and they go faster and faster and faster and faster. And we're going to continue to keep doing this. Uh, thank you so much for all of your feedback. If you can share us wherever you can uh, shoot us ratings and reviews on iTunes, Apple podcast, Spotify, wherever you're getting this uh, it, 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 uh, it just makes um the ability to share and getting the word out there so much easier. And so again, we appreciate all the help that you've done for us um, in, in building this thing. Um, and we appreciate Jocelyn and Monique for coming on the podcast here. So without further ado, here we are with Jocelyn Lamaru Davidson and Monique Lamaru Morando. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast all the way from sunny and warm Grand Forks, North Dakota. We have Jocelyn Lamaru Davidson and Monique Lamaru Morando. How are you guys doing today? We're doing good. Just trying to stay warm here. It's it's pretty flipping cold. So. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I'm in uh, upstate New York and Jeff right now is in Florida. So screw you, Jeff. Suck it. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, we're so excited to have you guys on the podcast. We're huge fans of what you guys do. Um, not only just in the hockey world and how you've elevated the women's game, but in your fight for equality for, for women as well um, and gender equity. Um, but before we do get into some of that stuff, you know, what we'd love to do is, is ask you guys how you fell in love with the great game of hockey. Come from a bit of a family of, of royalty up there in North Dakota. And, and I didn't even realize this, but like, so your dad played at North Dakota. Your mom is an incredible marathon runner. Uh, yep. You have four older brothers that played one, including that Jeff and I played junior hockey against and Jeff, we were talking about beforehand. He's a goalie and can never freaking score on him. He was unreal. So um, talk to us a little bit about growing up in the Lamaru household and, and how that allowed you guys to fall in love with this great game. Well, we, when we were growing up, we always wanted to take along with our brothers and do what they were doing. And the like one rule that they had was we could play with them, but if we couldn't keep up and then, then we weren't allowed to play and we had to like sit and watch. So like from a really young age, we learned how to like, we, we just always had to work hard and like put our best foot forward in order we to, had to battle. Up. Yeah, we had to battle. <laughs> And they didn't take it easy on us, but we grew up, um, there was a pond across the street. We played on the pond growing up all the time. Our mom would blow the whistle like three times when it was time to come up. Like another family household had like a cowbell that they would ring. So you would know like who had to, um, whose house was calling who. Um, yeah, that's what we just grew up playing on the pond, no rules, no coaches. And just grew, I think that's how we really developed our love for the game. That's awesome. Let me ask you guys this, because this is something that I think about a lot because I train hockey players and I train one of your old teammates, Nicole Hensley, and uh, <laughs> unbelievable person, one of the best I've ever met in the world. But I love Holy um, Nation too. Yeah. Well, she 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 told me to ask you if you like your real kids better or your adopted kids, meaning her and <laughs> so very close. Uh, <laughs> I mean, she's unbelievable. But um, when do you think? like the really good female players should stop playing with the boys and transition just to the female game. Because I mean, I know that obviously you playing against boys a little bit stronger, you know, mature differently, whatever, play the game differently. It obviously I would think had to help you. And maybe I'm speaking on a turn answer to that also, but when should like the, the best girls stop playing boys hockey? 
So we, we've mentioned this a few times in the last couple of weeks as far as opportunities for young girls to play. So we didn't even have the opportunity or an option to play on girls teams. But what we've recognized or noticed through our national team career in 2010, there was one player who grew up playing with boys and she was a goalie. No, playing with girls. Sorry, playing with girls. Everyone else played with boys. And that one exception was a goalie. And then by 2018, it was about half and half. So I think there's there's more competitive opportunities for young girls to play at a high level. But I think like we wouldn't necessarily trade the the opportunity we had to play with boys. We competed. We were one of the best players on the teams year in and year out. And I would say once we got to Bantams, and this is different now because we had checking in Peewees. So we had two extra years of checking, but we played one year of Bantams. And I would say that Bantam year, it was more about defending ourselves and making sure we weren't getting lit up center ice because we were probably about the same size now as we were then. And then the guys were growing. I mean, there's players that'd be six feet tall trying to run us over. And so- not that we were scared to get hit, but your head on a swivel, basically making sure you don't get run over every shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're doing really well on a boys team, uh, the other team takes notice all, and all the more reason they wanted to knock us over. Yeah. But I think, and I did my, I have, we both have our master's in kinesiology, but I did my um, thesis on when, or if playing competitive boys hockey helps develop um elite female hockey players and the lessons or the skills learned from like a stick handling knowing the game shooting speed all players on the 2014 team because I used our 2014 team um to to do my thesis felt that playing boys helped their development into into being an elite player so I would say if you can if you can keep up and be one of the better players and you're physically not um, you know being pushed around, you continue to play with boys. Yeah, I think it's really a case by case basis. But I think I mean I when we watch like if you're watching like a U18 team or you're watching tryouts, you can usually tell like which girls have played boys hockey just because there's sometimes there's just like that competitive edge you sometimes see or that grit or that physical type of play. And so I think you it's might not be as obvious now and today just because the game is just growing and, and developing and getting better and better every year. But yeah, I think it's got a, it's definitely a case by case basis and definitely probably where you're from geographically as well. And I don't think it's beneficial if they're, if they're like on the lower half of the, you know, depth chart of the boys team. I don't think that's necessarily great either. So one of the things I talked about with Nicole when she came on our podcast, and I've talked about this with her quite a bit, like how can we get women's coaching or, or get the women to develop faster? Because it seems like when they play with boys, like you said, maybe it helps them develop faster. And something that she brought up is kind of a psychological thing that she thinks that the coaches, whether they're males or females, coaching the girls' youth hockey, they take it easier on girls is what she's noticed when she goes out to boys' practices and helps out coaching there versus young girls practices. And she goes out and coaches there. She says that she kind of feels like uh, the coaches treat the girls with kid gloves a little bit 
But with the boys, they'll kind of get into them more. They'll, they'll get on them more. With the boys, they'll be like, you know, that wasn't good enough. That wasn't fast enough. And with girls, they kind of treat them with kid gloves. And she's kind of like, why? We're all athletes out there. We're all trying to get better. And maybe that kind of brings the female development, put, hinders it a little bit. Have you noticed that throughout your time coaching, playing, all these things? Yeah, I th- well... Again, I think it's kind of a case by case basis and where you see, I, th- I think we definitely see it in Grand Forks where the numbers, I mean, if you look Grand Forks, you assume it's like it, well, it's a hockey town. You got University of North Dakota and the numbers for the girls is actually kind of like, dis- it's disappointing. There's so many boys teams and then there's barely enough to field uh, just a full team for a girls team at one age group. And so I think when there, when you have that disparity in communities, I think you're just trying to get people to sign up, but then you're not necessarily teaching them the fundamentals that the boys are being taught at that same age. And you're yeah. coaching a U15 team or helping. Yeah, I'm, right I'm helping out with a U15 team. And so that's, that's Bantam age. Um, and so I try to think back, okay, what were, what were we learning in Bantams? What were like some basic, not, not just skills, but like, basic systems, not to get them, you know, to be robots, but like systems. So they understand how to play the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I found that to be very challenging that, um, like even just basic lingo, like hockey lingo, um, is just not there. And I think that, I mean, that's from coaching, but I also think it's a little bit of, not I think watching. more boys are fans of the game where, what I've noticed is girls don't necessarily watch hockey outside of being in the rink. Um, so I think there's a little bit of that too, just the boys being bigger fans of the game and having an NHL to watch or more college opportunities to go watch live. I think that's a, I think that's a big piece to this puzzle. Yeah. But then you look at like, we were, we went to Shattuck and that was not the case at Shattuck, like where there's a extremely high standard and coach Stafford, he, uh, his first year coaching girls hockey was our first year that we went there. And the standard was, he coached us the same, the same way he coached the boys. And like, if you're missing passes that you should be, that you should be making and catching and whatever it is, like that standard was set every single day and he didn't take it easy on people. And so I think like when, when you look at elite programs, I think like the Chicago mission, like i I think we helped out with a practice a couple of years ago when we were doing a national team camp there and like they ran a very high paced practice. And so I think you, it's just getting like the elite, I think the elite of the elite programs, they already have that standard. And then it's just bringing, bringing up the rest of the rest of the pool. Yeah. Well, the work that you guys are doing and, and the success, success that you guys have had is certainly going to raise that. And I'm sure has brought in a ton more fans into the game. So that's, that's, uh, that's awesome. But I do want to go back to, you mentioned Shattuck, um, cause even talking to this pre-show here, um, it, it is, it's a special place for hockey players to go. Um, and, and I wanted to read something to you. So I texted Alyssa Gallardi, who we know very well. And, and I know she was there at Shattuck. Um, and it was just really cool. She said at Shattuck, we practiced at 7.00 AM and they, as in you guys would be on the ice every day, 6.15, 6.30 AM, getting extra work in shooting pucks, working on edges, skating stride, passing, stick handling, you name it. They were working on it with a focus. Like you couldn't even believe every single day. Then you go to the weight room thinking you would get some extra work in and guess who'd already be basically completing an entire workout, the lambs. I literally don't think there was an opportunity for them to possibly work any harder or spend more time on their craft. 
Um, I, I mean, what, I don't think there's any better compliment from a teammate than something like that, you know, that they, that you guys put your heart and soul into the team and into, into your guys's craft. And, and I wonder, because we talk about like passion development a lot when it comes to hockey and kind of like the more you love the game, the more you're going to want to work at it, the more you work at it, the better you're going to be. And then you just kind of develop from there. So how was Shattuck, because I know it was like this for other people too, like how was Shattuck a place that allowed you guys to really want to put in that kind of work? And I'm sure a lot of that, you know, hard work came from your upbringing and things like that. But how was a place like Shattuck able to kind of coerce that and, and allow you guys to really flourish? Well, I think Shattuck, Shattuck gave us the, the, resources. the resources to do that. So I would say, you know, it'd be pretty, I, if we found young girls with the drive that, that we had at a young age, we'd be like, wow, look at this, look at this girl go. Um, but I, we've always had that drive and we attribute that to our brothers because they, I mean, they were training in the summers and we would be in like fifth, sixth grade. And we're like, oh, I guess that's what we should be doing. And so we go that, shoot that and our dad would inadvertently, I think, planted a seed in our minds because you, our dad, he had a shooting tarp and he'd get home from work. He'd be working all day or whatever. And he's, oh, did you shoot pucks today? And we'd be like, no, not yet. And he goes, oh, well, just remember somebody somewhere else is getting better today. And we're like, <laughs> so then we're thinking, we're like, oh, crap, we better go shoot some pucks. So that, <laughs> like, inadvertently like planted a seed that like if we're not getting better somebody is yeah and I think going to Shattuck is just it's you know they have the hockey program obviously and then there's they have these um centers of excellence so basically everyone who goes to school there is really good at something so you're surrounded by people who are passionate about what they do they love what they do and they want to excel at their craft and so when we got to Shattuck, we had the morning practice and mm -hmm. you have open ice beforehand. And then it's like, oh, well, might as well use the ice while we can. And I don't know, we were, we literally got up early every single day and would get on the ice early. Mm -hmm. And we wouldn't just do the flippant, like skate around in a circle and shoot pucks. And, you know, we got on the ice and had with something, yeah, yeah, with a purpose and wanted to work on something. But I think that's, just been a underlying tone throughout our careers that like the monotony of doing something like that day in and day out year in and year out like we enjoy it in a really weird way because it's not really that glamorous fun it's not that glamorous when you're doing it but in a weird way we really enjoy seeing the benefits when you look back over working on something for so long and how much better you can get that's, that's awesome. And let me ask you this, because the fact that you guys are twins and you're able to do it together, I think has to be a huge part of that. And one of the things that Jeff and I talk about a lot on this podcast is like, you know, you mentioned the monotony and how to become great at anything. Like, it's not always that fun. <laughs> it's just doing the same things over and over every day. And so we talk about like, how do you make that fun? Like, how do you make development like that sexy, you know, in a, in a sense where it's like, um, again, it's not fun to do that, but having the chance to do that together and compete with each other. One of the things we also talk about too, is like always having an accountability buddy. Um, and you guys almost have a built-in accountability buddy being twins. Like how much is your relationship 
um, and maybe holding each other accountable, maybe not want to let each other down. Cause I've, I'm sure there's some days that Monique, you wanted to go and Jocelyn didn't. And, you know, other days where it was the, the opposite, like how was your relationship added to helping make that monotonous a little bit more fun um, in your guys' development? Well, I think we, well, to your, to your point yet, yeah, we've always had each other. So it's always held us accountable. And I think we've always thought, well, if it was just one of us, then this would really suck. <laughs> like we were just like going on the ice on our own. So like, it's the fact that we could always go on the ice and work on something, whether it was one time like working on different types of passing sequences. And so you always had each other to work off of. And I think when you talk about the skill development piece, it's, I don't know if there's a way to make it fun the way that when you just look at basic sports psychology and how you learn certain skill sets and breaking it down to having it become just automatic. There's sometimes there's not really a way to, to make it fun other than just to keep doing it and being repetitive. And so it's, I think having gone to school for that in a way is also like, Hey, this is how you, this is how you really learn a skill. And this like is literally, how, this is how you learn it. This is how it becomes ingrained in how you move and it becomes automatic. Yeah. So like in knowing that just from like a textbook standpoint, I think it's like, okay, well, I guess that's just what we got to do to learn certain skill sets. And I remember in 2010, um or sorry 2009 we were we were home we had just made the national team going into the olympic year and our brother Pierre paul came out on the ice with us and we were working on like catching hard backhand passes and he was saying he's like this is an underrated skill to have and gets overlooked because like how many times in the game do you see a player get a hard backhand class and it just explodes off their oh stick oh. so like that's something that since like 2009 like we work on that like weekly like different drills that we would do. And then you think like that when I scored the tying goal in the Olympic gold medal game, I caught a hard backhand process pass from Kelly panic to go on that breakaway. And to think like how many times we worked on a drill where we would catch a pass in neutral, like just a hard crisp. Pass. Like we would literally shoot pucks on each other's backhands. Shoot yeah. Pucks. And so if it like, but that's how you like the repetitive drills that we would do. And just like some food work, maybe like once or twice a week, you just always work on it. And then you see it come to life in games when you least expect it or in the biggest moments of your career. Yeah. And I think to just to go off that, like you, you acquire a skill and then you still have to stay sharp. You can't get away from the things that, that you, you know, you learn things, you're able to then apply them, but you also have to go back and still, yeah, you don't have to work on them as much, but you still need to make sure you're staying sharp at those little things. So like before the Olympics, um, after we had made the team, um, we were getting back on the ice early when we had the opportunity. And those were the little things we went back to, to make sure that when it mattered most, we were sharp in the, just the littlest things. Well, and you think about it too. Like if you hadn't practiced that tiny little, you know, quote unquote, unsexy skill of catching a pass on your backhand you don't get to go in on that breakaway and score that massive goal so for any of the kids listening or any of the coaches listening like when you look at instagram and all these accounts where they're they're jumping over tires and doing a hula hoop after jumping rope and flipping the puck up through their leg seven times like that stuff is fun yes but 
you've got to focus on those little teeny tiny details that seem insignificant, but without focusing on that, that catching that pass, that backhand, maybe she doesn't go in on the breakaway and score the massive goal. Like the little things matter so much and you have to constantly do those. Yeah. I mean, to your, to your point, you see, so especially on Instagram today, you see so many different skills coaches that are popping up and you'll see a drill where a kid's working on like 10 different skills in one specific and like one rep I'm like hey what are they actually getting out of that because they're probably thinking so much about like what's coming up next that they're not really putting the focus into like one specific skill and so I think it's just but that probably makes it more fun for kids to do certain things and yeah they're probably they're getting better at certain things but are they really getting better at the things that are going to make them a better hockey player like instead of doing a drill that has like 10 things they're like, are you working on catching bad passes, catching pucks in your feet? Like get it like the things that realistically happen in hockey games, but just a side note. (laughs) (laughs) All good. All good. Well, um, how cool was it for you guys? And and I want to ask you a couple different questions in this one thing, but like you got to play college hockey, you were at one year Minnesota, but then got to go home and play at the university of North Dakota, which must've been really, really cool you know, dad played there, brother, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, in this book tour that I'm sure you guys are doing with 9 million Zooms and, and all that kind of stuff going on, I'm sure a lot of the talk is going to be about what you guys are doing in terms of gender equity and leadership and all that, which I certainly want to get into. But I also want to get into, you guys were absolutely unbelievable hockey players. And you were third and fifth all time in points in NCAA hockey history, uh, six world championships, um vex so i was looking at it today between you two guys you had 550 points in 149 games in your college career not bad <laughs> now that we're retired we can kind of be like that's pretty good <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a lot of points yeah yeah so I, I wanted to ask you guys as like you know top five top 10 women's players of all time i would put you in um, and, and having the chance to play with each other for a majority, if not all of, of that time, um, I'm always very interested in chemistry. How do you develop chemistry on the ice with somebody? And I, I think it's something that as a coach, I'm always, you know, we're always tinkering with lines and how do you put the right people with the right people to kind of make it go. And I'm wondering with the, all of the success that you guys have had, um, particularly with the points that you've put up and the offense and all of that, how do you find developing chemistry with each other and then maybe even with another line mate? Um, I'm just really interested in your point of view on that. Well, I think it goes to like when we would do extra skill sessions, we were always doing them together. So I knew the sweet spot that she wanted like a backdoor pass. I knew where she wanted it. I knew where she wanted her one-timer passes. Um, I can remember a specific goal again. So we were playing Ohio State and we had been working on this drill with um, our coach, Peter Elander, for a couple of weeks. It was because the Sedin twins would always, they would be rounding the net and they'd throw it back once they cross that midline and they'd throw it back. And I remember I, I made a rush pass. I had no idea if I got it in her wheelhouse and Monique was able to one time it but like ended up belly sliding as she shot it but it was like bar down one of the hardest shots I ever seen her take but the <laughs> only reason we were able to make that play is because we were literally just working on that for the past like three four weeks um so from a chemistry standpoint like that's a huge piece to it 
growing up together, but then our communication, yeah, I would say is like second to none. The amount of talk that we have on the ice with each other and like, yeah, we threw no look passes, but we knew each other were there because we were letting them know, like we, we, yeah. Um, and so I was watching, we were at, uh, UND was playing Denver men's hockey this weekend. And I was like, I don't think anyone was talking to the goalie there. So the goalie clearly should have played it up to his forehand side and threw it back on his backhand side ended up being fine. But I was like, I don't think anyone was directing the goalie. He can't, he doesn't have eyes in the back of his head. Um, so it just made me think like the amount of communication in practice and games, like there is nobody that talked on the ice more than us do. Yeah. I think that was kind of like, people always ask about the chemistry, like they're the obvious, like stating the obvious, but like the amount we communicated, I think um, was helpful. I think, but what most people don't realize is that I played over half of my games at defense in college. So we didn't even play together for over half of our college career on a line um, at forward. And so I think to testament to like, finding like I think at forward finding line mates with chemistry is a lot different than finding a D partner with chemistry I think you can still do a lot with your skill set at defense but if you're having a tough time finding chemistry with line mates it's a lot harder to be successful as a forward but um yeah we didn't we didn't play together for over half our college career but when we were playing together we made a concerted effort to make sure our line mate was like included because I think it would be very easy to feel like third wheel and to feel like oh it's just, just going to be those two like they're never going to pass me the puck and I think we especially in the second half of our careers made a huge effort to make sure that our line mate felt included felt that they were valued and important on the line and not just like because sometimes there would be cases where our coaches were clearly trying to like hide a forward on the line as far as like we were lacking in depth. But um, yeah, I think that went a long way. So, I mean, I think of like Kelly Panic, who was a first time Olympian when we were playing the line with her in 2018 and she was awesome and she was confident too. So it was easy for her to step in and play with us. But having that, um, making sure your line mates feel confident because there's nothing worse than going back to the bench and having it and like thinking your teammate is like pissed at you because you like might have screwed up or whatever. <laughs> That's not going to help anybody play better. So I can't tell you how happy it makes me to hear you guys talk about communication like that. Uh, <laughs> it's something we, it's like such the like most it's, basic yeah. little thing, but it is, I honestly think it is the most important skill and I call it a skill because it is a skill to have as probably an athlete in any sport, but especially in a game as quick and fast as hockey. And like, I make my players do push-ups in practice or they don't call for pucks. Like it's such a stupid, like little mundane thing, but it, it's, it's so important. And I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but Todd Reardon is a Chicago guy and that's where I grew up and uh, was a head coach in Washington. And now I think he's the assistant coach in Pittsburgh maybe. And he was still playing in the NHL at the time. And I was a Bantam and he came out to one of our practices just for like a skate before he went out to Edmonton where he was playing. And so the coach kind of like brings us all in and, and says, all right, Todd, like, do you have a last piece of advice before you head off to NHL camp or whatever? And he goes, the most important thing you can do in hockey is talk. And we're all sitting here like, that's your advice, <laughs> you know, as Bantam, like, okay, like that's not really that cool, Todd. But, and then he was talking about how his D partner was Boris Miranov. So I'm kind of dating ourselves right now, but he would say that like Boris Miranov, 
would not get upset at him about making, you know, a mistake or turning the puck over or whatever. But he said he would literally like try to fight me going back to the bench if I didn't communicate on a puck retrieval and if he got hit or, you know, whatever it may be. And it just, it was such a great lesson for us to learn. And I'm just so happy to hear you guys say that because even with all of the twin chemistry that you guys just naturally have, the fact that you say that that's important. I mean, I think it's such a great thing for any kid that's listening to this to hear. Well, it just makes it so much easier to play a quick game. I mean, you think about like if a D is going back to retrieve a puck and they've got someone cheat, like four checkers right on them. Like, if no one's letting him know to wheel it or reverse it, like he's got to, he's actually got to look to see, okay, what do I got to do here? Which takes a little bit longer or like a, a winger on a breakout. If, yeah. If you're getting a rimmed puck on the breakout and the center is just swinging up the middle and doesn't say chip or direct or, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, it literally, it's a, it's another second that it takes to get your head up, find where the open is and then make the play instead of you can just make it off the first touch. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, All right. Good stuff. So I want to, I want to move on here and I want to ask you guys about the 2018 Olympics. Um, Obviously had to have been such an amazing moment for, for you guys and your team. And and the one specific moment that I want to ask you guys about, because we've had Nick on the podcast, we had Kendall coin Schofield on the podcast And they both talked about during the gold medal game against Canada, going into the locker room in between the second and third period and the atmosphere of the locker room in between periods and how there was just like this quiet confidence and everybody was like, there's no chance we're losing this game. But in a way, we're just like everybody was so kind of together in themselves. And it was just a really cool moment that both of them talked about on our podcast. And I wanted to ask you guys about that because, you know, like, um, Monique, you scored the goal to, to tie the game up. And then Jocelyn, you had the unbelievable shootout uh, goal to, to win it. So like for you guys, take, take us through that, like from in between the second and the third period and just the feeling of the room. Um, I'm getting kind of chills just even talking about this right now because it was so cool. I can't imagine what you guys feel like. Um, but then, you know, you guys being huge parts of, of actually tying and then winning the game as well. How, how was that? Well, I think like having been to two Olympics previous to that and losing both gold medal games, I think for us and our veterans, it would have been really easy to go into the locker room being down two to one and been like, here we go again, like, and, and have that mindset. But it was such like the demeanor compared to 2014 to 2018. It was just like, it was night and day difference. Like the stress, there was like, we knew the pressure was on us, but we didn't feel stressed about it the everyone just kind of went about their normal routine nobody was no one like set had like some big spiel to try and pump anybody up yeah there was no there was no fake enthusiasm yeah it was just everyone like I can't remember I think Decker might have said something but it was not it wasn't like over the top or like she's like like or like someone was overcompensating at at any point but we just kept our normal routine Haley Skarupa played her normal like songs that we went out to before going on the ice. Everybody had their normal handshakes and we left the locker room in the same order as, as we always did. And it was just this like quiet confidence that the group had because we had, we played well in the, in the back half of the second period and thought we were carrying the play. And so we just, I think we just went on the ice like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to find a way to tie this game up we're going to find a way to win it and it was just like not a whole lot needed to be said in our coach I don't I have no idea what our coaches said um but we just I mean 
it's cool that they talk about it in the same way that we talk about it because I think it's it was just like this collective togetherness and just this unspoken confidence that the whole group had. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. And and I have to imagine, and, and we'll get into this kind of next year, but like with all of the crap that you guys went through in the previous year in in standing up for women, it just like how awesome was that to win gold? Like, it just must've been like stupid question host, man. Like, I mean, it's just the obvious one, but like literally like how cool was that to, (laughs) to after everything to, to win? Yeah. I mean, I think leading into 2017 and that world championship and then the adversity that our entire team faced kind of going into that Olympic year um, there, I think the reason, to be honest, we were just able to Day the way we did in the locker room and not get too stressed is because we had dealt with adversity before and so we trusted the person next to us to just do what we had been doing and we played we were playing really well that game so it wasn't like we were playing poor and being outplayed we were out shooting them we were out chancing them so it's just a matter of just sticking to what we were doing in that game and stick to our strengths and we felt like okay just keep doing what we're doing one's gonna fall here and then yeah I mean to get to your actual question to win I mean that's it's a dream come true it's something we've been chasing basically our whole lives (laughs) very very cool well let's let's talk about you know because a lot of what you guys have added to the game is is this fight for gender equity within USA hockey and and you guys have been at the forefront of that Um, we had Kendall it's funny like we had Kendall she was our first actual guest on this podcast so she was the first interview that we did and, and we kind of got into it and it was really funny because what's that but it was funny because so we had her on and we were talking about the fact that you know you guys had had threatened to boycott going to the world championships and and all of the kind of just miscommunication and backdoor stuff that was going on and and uh you know usa hockey is an old boys club there's no question about it i think i don't think i'm I'm out of turn in in saying that and you guys saw that (laughs) firsthand um but it was interesting because after kendall's podcast i actually had a couple guys at usa hockey that were a kind of familiar with what was going on, probably hearing things secondhand, but they were like, man, that was actually really good to hear her perspective about that because you get fed certain information and then you think a certain way and that's not how things end up getting um, resolved. But, you know, you guys, where did you learn the strength to, to stand? Like, that's not easy to stand up for yourselves in a way to stand up to your governing body and say, treat us better, treat us equally. And, or else we're not, we're not going to do our job. We're like, we're not going to go. Um, I, I think it's amazing. I have two daughters. I hope and, and wish that, you know, they have mentors like you that can help them to stand up for what they believe in. And hopefully my wife and I can instill the values in them um, to, to do the same things that you guys did. But number one, that couldn't have been easy. And so how did you guys collectively, because I think that the other thing that was really cool about it was like you guys stood your ground together. Like the, the 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 professional players, the U twenty two, the U eighteens, you all were like, this is not right. And you know, some of the younger players could have easily been like, oh, this is my shot to go play at a World Championships. I might not be ever ever be able to do that again because all the the top players aren't going to do it. But you all stood together. So number one, where did you learn the strength, and where did you learn that that kind of fight to stand up for yourselves? And number two, how how cool was it um, that everybody banded together and and you guys ended up 
changing the lives of, of a lot of women that are going to be within USA hockey in the future? Well, I think the biggest, like for us individually, um, like we grew up where with four older brothers and if we didn't stick up for ourselves, like no one else is going to. So you learn that um, at the dinner table. <laughs> exactly. Like if, like, for example, if you wanted front seat at the car, it was a competition in our household. Like everything, everything was a competition. If you wanted something, you had to stand your ground. Um, but I think the, I think the reason we were able, or I know the reason we were able to do what we did was because it wasn't about the individual and it wasn't about how do I get myself more? Um, I think when it becomes about that, that's when you aren't able to stick together because everyone's going to have their own individual reasonings for doing what they want to do. Um, and so from the get-go, it was always about how do we support the players as a whole? It wasn't about getting the top players paid more or anything like that. It was about how do we support the player pool? How do we support the players um, not just financially, but I mean, there's a financial component to it, but how do we support the program? How do we get more support for the U18 and the U22 team? How do we grow the sport? And so it was very little talk about what, what's in it for me, what's in it for me. What's it's, a, I mean, we all knew we were going to benefit from it immediately, but ultimately, I mean, we've been on the national team for 14 years. We were under contract for two and a half, three. two and a half, three years. And we're, I mean, that's, that's as long as we were under contract for the next generation is going to benefit so much from the groundwork and the foundation that was laid. But that that's why we were able to do what we did because it wasn't about the individual at all. And that's why we got the support we did. Yeah. And I think if you, if it was coming, if people thought or the opinion was we were coming from a greedy or selfish place, then players would have wanted to take our spots and people wouldn't have supported us like they did in the media. Or I mean, they said like NHL PA, NFL PA, NBA PA, MLB PA, like all of those um pro all those organizations came out and supported us publicly and so I think if it was coming from a place other than where we were coming from we wouldn't have had that support and I think of when we tell the story and we talk about it in our book like right the night before we announced that we were boycotting um the world championships our dad was like well what if they replace you and now you're not going to go to worlds and you might jeopardize your opportunity to play in the olympics like then what and Johnson was like, well, I can lay my head on my pillow at night knowing that we're doing the right thing. And it was like as simple as that. And I think that resonated with so many people because like when we're at, when we're talking about compensation, we're not asking to get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. We were just asking to get paid enough so we weren't working a full-time job on top of being an elite athlete or getting the same amount of per diem that the men's team was getting so we'd be getting the same amount or getting like a, something as stupid as a world championship ring like getting our rings in a timely fashion we're getting them at all like things like that I think even though they seem small they like they add up to a lot at the end of the day yeah absolutely Vex so your guys TED talk was awesome before getting on here I got the chance to to watch that and so you guys, it, I think at the time, maybe it was five world championships or six, I can't remember, um, but you'd only gotten one ring. And it's like, really? Like, come on. And it's just, it's it's absolutely- Still an ongoing issue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez, of course. 
Um, but so I, I want to ask you because, you know, you know, this isn't just a, a USA hockey issue. This is a global issue uh, for equity. And I, I'm wondering for you guys, like, how did you get everybody together to get on the same page so you were able to come in united to stand your ground? And if you had advice for those out there that might be listening in business or in education or anywhere else where there's gender inequality, what would be some advice that you would give to women that are fighting for those kinds of rights as well? Um, I think, what was the first part of the question though? I was getting everybody. Oh, I'm getting everyone together. Um, so I had, I had reached out to Julie Foudy, um, right away, um, oh, okay. started communicating with our lawyers and cause John Langle, um, who was the lead lawyer at the time had worked for the U S soccer team, U S women's soccer team for 15 or 16 yeah. years. And so John, um, just said that I think this would be a good resource for you guys from a player standpoint. And so from the beginning, from the first conversation, she said, you need to get everyone on board because us, the women's team soccer team had gone through a similar situation where they had boycotted um, a trip to China and they uh, were able to send like a backup team, but not like not near what the national team would be. And so she, from the beginning was like, you don't just need your, your team, your roster team, you need the player pool and you're going to need the younger teams because that will be the first people they call. And so in today's day, day and age with social media and how easy it is to get people on the phone, um, they quickly bypassed the U22 team. I think called some U18 players, didn't even bother with the entire roster and then went to basically all American born D1 college players and then eventually made it to D3 college players and then they were calling club players they were calling literally Wednesday night beer league players like not joking not exaggerating but our message was consistent throughout the entire two weeks and we like they couldn't they couldn't replace us and what you mentioned earlier in the interview with like that's someone else's dream come true is to go put the red, white, and blue on. Mm -hmm. And we love to share this. Um, it was the Harvard assistant coach. Their team had been knocked out of playoffs in the NCAA season. Their players were on spring break. (laughs) And so she makes a joke out of it. Like not sure they'd want her players because they're out on spring break right now. But at the end of it, she wrapped it up with the pride is not in putting on the team USA Jersey, the pride is in saying no to this opportunity. And that's what she sent to her players. Um, so to have that type of support and for coaches to acknowledge that, um, I think it just like, it gives me chills just sharing that because there's so many different stories like that, but it's just mm-hmm. like embodies what it was all about. How did you guys get get everyone to that point did you put out a video and send it to every college coach or was it like an instagram social media thing and everyone just saw it throughout the the female hockey population how did that work well so uh, the the veteran group that we had or like our committee of player i think it was like nine of us like the communication was like it was that two weeks was chaotic to say the least but um when we quickly realized that they were bypassing our entire player pool, basically, 
we there was a group of us like hey we we took division one so we split up the college teams and the leagues and like hey I know these coaches from this league so we split it up accordingly got on it was like it was in the morning. I think we were going, we were supposed to be getting out on the ice to train. We're on the phone in the parking lot with every, with our lawyers and our leadership group. And we're like, Hey, Amazing. we got to get these calls in. So then we were like, Hey, we're going to skate for like 45 minutes. Cause we're still training as if we're going to worlds. And so we, I think we were on the ice for like 30 minutes. And we're like, Hey, we got to make these calls. Cause we kept checking our phones and we were just distracted, but we're making like calling college coaches, sending out emails. And then it was, I think like one of the stories, um, it was, I don't know, I can't remember what night of the week it was, but the NWHL was playing. So it was a Friday night. So Jocelyn, Kendall and I were like the only ones available that night. And we found out they were calling division three players. And so the three of us getting division three emails and contacts is a lot harder as far as like getting on websites and everything than division one we found that out pretty quickly but we put together an email list got all the contact information for all the coaches and we sent out an email to all these coaches on a friday night the three of us just like hunkered down in our houses and getting all this information out and so that like that's how we tackled it and then we would be on social media and there was a tweet that was going out for like players that had been contacted, but had said no. And there was this generic tweet that players were putting out. Um, so we would find out that players had been contacted through that as well. So then we would contact those players and then we'd get like more contact information and we would thank them and um, appreciated their support. And so it was just, it was chaotic, but it was, it was, yeah, it was a stressful two weeks. Yeah. Imagine like Vex. Can you imagine, so we're sitting here talking to like two of the top women's players of all time, and they are in parking lots before their training sessions fighting for equality. Like imagine that ever happening to Sidney freaking Crosby or any man in at this capacity of sport i mean well like we were still working too like we were working yeah, straight we had jobs. Jobs, so we had jobs that we were going to like uh, Casey Bellamy was coaching at Merrimack. Megan Duggan was coaching at Clarkson at the time. So like all this is going on and we still have the rest of our lives that are continuing on as well on, on top of all that. So it was just, yeah. You got snakes in the grass calling every female hockey player above 16 years old <laughs> trying to take your spots too. Grow up! <laughs> well, let, well, let me ask you guys this because um, again, like getting the chance to, to read some articles that have been written about you guys over the past couple of weeks since you've announced your retirement and, and, you know, just some of that kind of stuff, like the reception that you got from the women's hockey community and, and more was, was, seems like it was pretty awesome afterwards that what you guys did, it, it struck a chord and it made an impact on, on so many people, you know, hear the story about Dave Haxtell's daughter who was 11 years old, who had a newspaper clipping, by the way, quick, like Dave Haxtell, is he, I don't know him that well, but coaching in college, like, is he one of like the best guys ever? He's awesome. We we're family friends with his wife and like, we've grown up knowing their whole family. Um, yeah. He's probably hard to get, to get a smile for people that he's not super close with. I, so I have to tell you a story. So, um, every year, so I was an assistant coach at Cornell, um, for a while. So the fact that you told a positive story about Harvard on this podcast, we're going to have to strike that and, and I'll get that out in editing. 
Um, but so I was like a first year coach and we go down to the convention in Florida every year, you know, where all the coaches go down and do the meetings and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, coach Haxtall, he finds me, I'm just kind of walking by him and he's Dave Haxtall. Right. So I'm kind of walking by kind of like shy or whatever. And he says, Topher. And I'm like, yeah. So he like knew me. And then he goes, Hey, I just want to let you know, I, I remember watching you play when you were younger. I'm so happy that you're getting into coaching. I love the way that you played and like the passion that you played with. And, and we need more people like you in the game. I like, I was on cloud nine, like the, to get a compliment from him like that. <laughs> What's that? Did you trip and fall in the pool after? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't even have any drinks in me at the time either. So, <laughs> um, but no, it was just, it was just like a really cool thing. And it shows you the, the type of guy that he is like, go, he didn't have to do that. You know, like I'm, I'm a nobody and there are certain people, very few, but there are certain people in the business who are kind of like, yeah, I'm the man for being yeah. in this position or whatever. Um, but it was just really cool. But going back to it, so, you know, his his daughter with the newspaper clipping, thanking you guys at 11 years old, uh, there was a story about right after, uh, I think um, you guys had threatened to boycott and everything got um, fixed. You were out to dinner with your husbands and the waiter comes over and on the, on the bill, he writes a note saying, thank you for what you did. Um, mm -hmm. Going into these different arenas um, with the PWHPA and, and specifically at the world championships in 2017 and just seeing all the signs about just women empowerment. And like, what did that mean to you guys knowing that you made an impact on so many people. Like he, if you think back to being in the parking lot, you know, being on Twitter and, 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 and all the crazy crap that you guys had to deal with, um, was it, was it pretty validating to see the kind of impact that you had on, on these women and girls? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's why you do it is because you're ultimately, you're making a difference for, for other people. And I think some of the more impactful interactions we've had is like when we've gone and done like some corporate speaking events or, doing autograph sessions and it's grown women that come up to you and appreciate what you're doing. Cause at the end of the day, everyone knows like you're trying to better, like do better for the next generation. So they don't have to fight the same battles that you did. But when you have grown women, women that are definitely like way older than you, they're like, thank you for what you did. Like, th I think those are some of the more, like when you have those one-on-one -on -one moments and intimate moments with people like those, I think what really stick out to you and what, like you just realize, okay, what we did was the right thing. And it just solidifies that it was like, there, there, there was no other option than to do what we did. Yeah. And I think just, I mean, yeah, winning gold in 2018 is like the cherry on top, but when obviously retiring this past week and um, seeing a lot of nice messages from, mm -hmm. from coaches and teammates and, um, opponents. Um, it just makes you realize at the end of the day, what, what truly matters and what has a lasting impact. And yes, our, our role individually, um, the, the roles that we played individually in the 2018 gold medal game, um, were important, but that's not really what most people were talking about. And so I think that's the, that's the moment we're most proud of because we know that that's going to change the game for for every girl that wants to play hockey in the U.S. and it's going to change women's hockey globally. Yeah, I think that the reception that especially since we've announced our retirement, some of the amazing things that 
our teammates have said friends and just or opponents and coaches like those are the things that are important to us like yeah stats and goals and all that those are important what we worked for as athletes to be to be elite um hockey players but at the end of the day for us and I hope for a lot of people it's what it's the character and how you carried yourself throughout the process to to being great um like that that's what truly matters at, to us at the end of the day because like we're not sitting here with like our medals collect dust. They sit in a shelf or they're like in a sock right now, somewhere, somewhere around the house. Like that's not what's important to us. And so I think the memories you make with teammates and the difference you've been able to make along the way, that's what truly matters. Very, very cool. And uh, you know, just in, in texting with some of your former teammates and coaches that I know before this, it, it was like, just to kind of get some information. That's, it was basically like as great as they were as hockey players, their impact is going to be felt a lot more than what they did on the ice. So I, I'm sure you guys have gotten a lot of those notes, like you said, and and, and I certainly did too. Um, and and as a young father of, of two girls that are under four years old right now, I mean, I, I get a little bit emotional just kind of hearing you guys talk because, you know, as, as men, we don't sit in your guys' shoes and we don't have to fight for certain things that you guys have, have had to fight for. And I can just think of my girls who I love more than anything in the world, like, you know, not having the same opportunities that I did and how much that makes me upset. And, uh, and the fact that you guys are making a better world for them when they get of age um, and not even necessarily just in hockey, but just your example and fighting for what you believe in and whatever they choose to go into, it gives me a lot of comfort as a, as a young dad. So we really appreciate all the work that you guys have, do, have done. Before we let you go, do have to ask you about your book uh, because you have a book coming out here and uh, it's called Dare to Make History, Chasing a Dream and Fighting for Equality. Um, must have been a pretty big undertaking for you guys. Mm -hmm. Now that it's finally here, now that it's coming out, you get to share a lot of your stories, get to share a lot of, I'm sure, your ups and your downs throughout your career, both on the ice and off the ice. How excited are you guys to... Um, finally get this thing out and uh, and what are some of the things that uh, readers can expect to, to hear from you guys? Yeah, uh, we're very excited to finally have it hit shelves. Um, it's a long process writing a book and as first time authors, um, like when you're starting with zero pages, it's pretty daunting. And like the rest of our life, we pretty much pretty much approached it like training. Like we had our deadlines and we're like, hey, this is what we need to do up to here. This is what we need to do up to here. <laughs> and we just like kept plugging away and eventually you have a book. Um, but it's the process of writing was very, I mean, you have to, you're, we're going back to childhood. So it was very reflective and um, yeah. we really enjoyed that process. Um, and so we're excited to share, to share our journey, how um, different experiences in our life uh, have impacted us and we, obviously we talked about the gold medal game we talked about the um, negotiations um, and the threatened boycott but we also talk about yes the ups but the downs because nobody wants to hear how great your life was and how easy everything was and we've had our share of adversity and um, we think that's important to share because no one ever has it totally easy um, even if it appears that way and what people know about our hockey careers. Um, if you're a hockey fan, you're aware that we played on the national team for several years. If you're a sports fan, you probably know our names from just the 2018 gold medal game. Um, but what's the most important is not just the tip of what people see, it's, it's the journey on getting there, what it takes to get there, 
Um, we've definitely had our successes and we've had more failures. And so we, we share that throughout the, throughout the book and we're excited to, and hopefully, hopefully inspire, um, not just girl hockey players, but, um, boys, girls, doesn't matter if you're an athlete, parents, adults, uh, we, we think it's kind of for everyone. Very, very cool. Well, thank you guys for everything that you do for, for the game of hockey. Um, such amazing careers and we know that you guys will have a lot of success um, in whatever ventures you guys have. I, actually, I should ask you too, before we let you guys go, you're both moms now. Yep. Um, and again, I have two little ones, so you guys are right in the thick of it. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, having, having kids now, has that given you more perspective um, on some of the things that you've been able to accomplish off the ice, you know, and, and because you guys all talk about the next generation, every woman that we brought on here to talk about these kinds of things, it's always about the next generation. And that's why we have so much respect for what you guys are, are doing. Um, having kids now, is that even kind of put it an even bigger exclamation point to it? I absolutely. I mean, as an athlete, I think you're, when you're chasing a dream or you're playing at elite level, I think you're inherently selfish because you're always okay, what am I doing for training? What am I doing to be the best I can be? And when you have a kid, it's, just, it's not about you anymore and it never will be. Um, <laughs> so we learned that pretty quickly, but um, I think we both have boys um, six weeks apart, but then I'm, since the Olympics, I think there's been like nine grandkids in our family or soon to be nine have been added in the last like two years, but, and I'm having another boy in three, four weeks. So we're- Oh, congrats. Yeah, you, can't, you, can't, you can't see the belly right now. <laughs> But I think like our brother, he has two girls, two young girls that are one, uh, just one and two. Yeah, one and two, they're close in age. Um, and he runs hockey camps. He's like, I wanna be able to provide opportunities for them and then us like having boys. We also wanna, it's not, yes, we're passionate about gender equity, but we also, it's not just a female problem, not just a female issue, it's an everyone's issue. And so I think also raising our boys to, to realize like what's fair and what's not fair. And if you see something that's unequal or something that's, that's unjust, like you got to set, you got to step up and speak up because sometimes other people aren't going to speak up for themselves or stand up for themselves. And so I think teaching them those lessons is extremely important to us. Awesome. Well, so let me say this too, for any of the women listening or any hockey players listening, I, I creeped your guys' Instagram. You guys put up a lot of really really cool content showing how you train why you train you talk about it like it's very informative i'm all about people following people on instagram social media instead of just following half naked butts or memes or dance. <laughs> yeah we don't put those up there. <laughs> things where kids just waste their time and they wonder why they're not getting better and you can use social media to help you become whatever it is you want to be. And you two are really good follows on, on Instagram. So for any hockey players, male or female, looking how to train in a smarter, harder, uh, uh, more specific way, follow them on Instagram. I would definitely urge you to do that because I was learning a lot from watching your guys' stuff. We could, yeah. we could come back on here and just talk training because we love talking shop. Love yeah. That. Love <laughs> that. We'll hold you to that. That would be awesome. <laughs> Uh, well, great stuff. Thank you guys again so much for taking the time out of your day to do this. The book is Dare to Make History, Chasing a Dream and Fighting for Equality. Uh, when is it out and where can people find it? I'm sure probably well, everywhere. It comes out <laughs> on February 23rd and you can order on 
Amazon, Target Online right now, and basically your local bookstore. So you go support local, I think right now, especially see if your local bookstore is carrying it. But if not, you know, they can order it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you.